You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode number 66, for Monday the 5th of June 2017. My guest today is Sarah Painter, who, before writing books, worked as a freelance magazine journalist, blogger and editor. Sarah writes contemporary fiction with a touch of magic, and her debut novel, The Language of Spells, became a Kindle bestseller. She presents the Worried Writer podcast, has just self-published her first non-fiction book, Stop Worrying, Start Writing, and recently signed a new book deal with Lake Union. In spite of all those achievements, Sarah is a self-proclaimed warrior and procrastinator. When I chatted to Sarah, I started by asking her when writing for a profession turned into a desire to write books. I was one of those typical bookworm kids um, and I always wanted to be a writer. It was my secret or not so secret probably dream and I, I wrote books when I was in primary school um, and it was all I ever wanted to do. But when I got a wee bit older and I hit my teenage years, I think it was a lack of confidence and it just seemed like a most ridiculous, unachievable um dream basically uh, i thought that writers and authors were some other sort of breed apart they were definitely cleverer than i was mm. um and they had lots of ideas and they really just lived on another plane of existence um so i in my wisdom decided that the sensible option would be to write for a living in what seemed like a more real thing, which was journalism. Um, and it makes me laugh because a lot of people said, oh, you know, it's really hard to get into that. But it was my backup plan, so I didn't really consider that. <laughs> I just uh, I just sort of went along and did work experience, and um, I very quickly realised I didn't want to be a hard-hitting news journalist. Um so I settled on magazine kind of feature writing and and so on. And I started working for Future Publishing. Um, and I sort of just pushed aside. I mean, I always wanted to be a writer, but I, I pushed it down into the secret, you know, the secret want. Um, and it was when I was heading for my 30th birthday and I had two small children at home. And I was writing my diary because I was always writing about writing, writing in my diary, uh, starting stories that I never finished, uh, opening chapters of novels and then running out of steam and thinking, well, I just don't have it in me. I don't have the ideas. And I wrote in my diary one of these long self-indulgent things about about wondering if I'd ever be a writer. And it hit me that the reason I wasn't actually trying properly was that I was scared. And as soon as I realized that, as soon as I wrote that down that clearly, that was it. I knew I had to try. So what were you scared of, Sarah? Was it success? Failure. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah, failure first, because I thought, what if I try writing and I can't do it? That will take away that dream. You know, while I don't try, I can always write a book one day. I can be an author one day. If I try and I can't do it, that's it. 
So that was my first big fear. I had a lot of fears, Paul, (laughs) but that was the first major one. How did you start to push through that roadblock then? Number one was calling it by its name, recognising it. So how then, you still got to get over the fear, you still got to push through it. How did you start that? Well, I think it was a very long process, but I think what was key was I read, I mean, I'm sure you've had this recommended many, many times on the podcast, but I read On Writing by Stephen King. And apart from being a wonderful writing book, a wonderful memoir, he talked about writing in a very workaday kind of kind of a manner you know he talked about sitting down regardless of whether he was inspired and hitting a word count and that just made that I thought gosh you know that's something I can do I can work hard you know I might not be I might not be very clever or I might not be um inspired or or touched by creative genius but you know I can work at things I'm good at that so I started just I set a word count of a thousand words and I just started writing. And I just, as long as I hit my word count every day, that was it. And at the end of six months, I had a book. Wow. Now, the thing is, Sarah, <laughs> if, if you were working in journalism, I, uh-huh. I, I'm a former radio journalist too, and I, I hadn't realised that I'd picked up the writing skill until I actually tried <laughs> writing a book. And that is, is that you're... Number one, you're used to receiving feedback. It's one of the first things you have to learn when you're a journalist is people keep telling you you can't write and how you need to write in the house style. And then number mm-hmm. two, you've got to write to order. There's no sitting around procrastinating. If there's a magazine or a radio show to go out, you've got to get the work done. So in many respects, surely you had a lot of those skills before you started. Gosh, you know, I hadn't thought about it like that, but you're right. I think that's why it was the right bit of advice at the right time. I was ready to hear Mr. King's words. Um, But you're right. I did have those skills already, Um, but I just never, ever transferred that sort of nonfiction writing to what I considered this sort of special, dreamy, terrifying (laughs) You put it on a pedestal then, hadn't you? I had very much, yeah, very much. (laughs) Um, So it was a case of, yes, as you say, using those skills and then just doing that work a day, um, really focusing on the process of it, just getting those words done regardless of how terrible they were, and they were terrible. Um, But it was when I got to the end and I had no, I'm not a planner, so I'd had no idea where the book was going and somehow it grew legs as I wrote the more I wrote the more the ideas came and that was the start of everything for me because I realized that it wasn't that I didn't have ideas it was just that I had to write my way into them and if I sat down and made myself write something would happen eventually (laughs) this is called trusting emergence I think and Mm. and, and presumably you do get better at it or not (laughs) You yes, because you know that if when it's worked for you before, it really helps because you still have the bad days and you still have the the terrible moments, but you you have that experience. You know that if you keep on going, it'll happen because it happened before. So that's why I'm always saying to people if they ask for advice, it's to get to the end of your first book. It doesn't matter how bad it is, because once you've done it once, it really is easier because you know you can finish something and you know you can get that many words down. I absolutely agree with that as a piece of advice. When I, I think the first thing you have to do is you have to travel the route. You have to walk the route. And once you've walked out the route, you know, you can walk it again. I, I totally agree with that. But but you've got to jump. 
to, to start the journey. And that's the mm-hmm. most difficult bit in many respects. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, it's still, it's still difficult starting things. I think, I think the thing that I've learned over the last few years is that I've come, I mean, I've come a long way in terms of uh, fear and self-doubt and so on. But you have to keep on relearning these things. And you also find that your fears and your self-doubts, they morph and they change with each new stage, um, which sounds terribly depressing. Um, but I hope it's reassuring to to anybody listening that feels that they are never going to get away from these uh, these worries and self-doubts. But they, they do morph. And then you just have to keep on either learning new tricks to deal with them and so that you can still get your work done or you keep on relearning the same things, um, or you keep on reminding yourself, okay, yeah, I've been here before. Something that a lot of authors on this podcast tell me is that their first uh, piece of writing, their first book was rubbish. And I always want to dig into that because what, <laughs> what, what made it rubbish? Why, why was it rubbish? Um, I think it's that I, it was a book in the sense that it had the correct number of words and it had an opening chapter and I typed typed the end. Um, But it was rubbish in the sense that I didn't know what you needed in order to to write a book. I think I had obviously read and read and read and read many books, so I had a sort of vague idea, but I didn't know how that translated into into structuring one myself. Um, I mean, it it was rubbish in the sense that it wasn't publishable and I wouldn't would not want to read it again um but it it wasn't completely rubbish in that I sent it out to agents um just purely to find out if I was kidding myself um and and just to get some some sort of feedback and I got I got requests for the full manuscript and some positive feedback um which was really you know did the job it was basically very encouraging but wouldn't have edit, wouldn't an edit have sorted that out, for instance, or a, an editor input? Maybe, <laughs> maybe. Um, my husband said to me several times, "You ought to drag that out and and get it edited or rewrite it now that you're a better writer." <laughs> yeah, it's a great idea because it's really just the depiction mm-hmm. of the idea is the, is the issue, not 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 the idea. Presumably, it sounds like it was a flyer as far as as far as the idea was concerned. I don't know. I, I I do think that I maybe maybe those agents were simply responding to the fact that superficial not superficially that's a little bit damning. But um, um, I could I can write or I could write well enough. I mean, as you said, I've been I've been writing nonfiction for years, so I could string a sentence together. So perhaps I just sort of fooled them. <laughs> with a few yeah. chapters of of reasonable prose and then you know the whole rest of, as i say i think i think structurally yeah <laughs> having traveled that journey once then and you knew uh-huh. then that you could write a book you could do it a to b mm. to c um, how did you move on from that to to turn your next project into something that would be a goer um, well, I I took a wee while before really getting going on another book. I made the classic mistake of kind of stopping while I was submitting to agents. Um, so everything was very slow. Um, I was also running a business and and mothering and things at the same time, which um, which slowed me up a wee bit as well. Um, so I wrote another. I'm just trying to think. I know that the language of spells was my fourth book that I'd written, and that's the one that I got published. Um, 
Um, so my second book, I thought that was better. Yeah, it definitely was better because I, I got an agent with that one. Um, but my agent of the time couldn't find a publisher for it. It was close but no cigar kind of thing, mm. um, which was really tough. Um, and I found very, yeah, well, everybody knows rejection sucks. And sometimes rejection when you're close can can be especially difficult. And I I felt like I'd, I'd written the best book that I could, which of course it was the best book I could write at the time. And it still wasn't quite there um, for whatever reason. And I think now I'm more, I'm far more aware of the fact that market, um, sorry, the market plays a, a, a role that those publishers, it's not necessarily that it wasn't a good book. It was that they didn't think that it would sell or they didn't have sufficient uh, belief that it would sell uh, but at the time I took it that I just wasn't good enough um, which was you know which is hard so what I did then was I started writing a third book um, and my agent at the time wasn't keen and it really knocked me it really really knocked me and I kind of st- not stopped writing but I I slowed up even more and I decided to do a postgrad in creative writing at uh, St Andrews University Uh, I just wanted to go and just write for the writing's sake I wanted to get back that love of it not the this sort of what had started to feel like a really soul-destroying long difficult path to publication which again with hindsight I can see it was fine it was completely normal Um, it was a normal path to publication but at the time I thought this is it you know I can't I can't keep putting myself through this rejection so I went and did a postgrad I did a master's and that was that was good and I started a book that eventually became uh, in the light of what we see uh, although a long time later and when I came out of that, it had been all very, very literary, as you might imagine, at university. And the focus had been, well, a very, very literary focus. And I was, much as I enjoyed that, I really just wanted to have some fun. So I came out of that and I thought, I'm just going to write a book, you know, the sort of book that I read over and over again for comfort. I'm going to write something just fun, just for me not trying to impress my lecturers, not trying to be literary, just have a blast. And that was the language of spells. And I sent that out, got an agent and yeah, got a publisher. So that's when it all happened. And it did very well on Kindle. <laughs> yes, it, 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 was a, it was a Kindle bestseller and I, it got put into a, a Kindle daily deal. Obviously that helps. Um, so yeah, I was, I was made up. I was delighted. Uh, that was very exciting. Did, did you feel you'd made it then? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Um, no, I mean, as I was saying before, the, about the, the self doubts, you know, morphing and changing with the different stages. I do speak from bitter experience. I was, um, I was so frightened and so filled with self doubt the night before the language of spells spells was published. I actually seriously considered phoning my agent and the publisher to say, please don't put it out. And then when it came out and it got decent reviews and it did well, it was more a case of relief, you know, Oh, thank goodness. I didn't let my agent down. I didn't let my publisher down. Um, and then 
Yeah, I <laughs> all of my all of the self doubt that I had been carrying and dealing with, it didn't magically go away. I didn't suddenly arrive at this hallowed, published world in which I was this confident author. I was still me um, and still worried. Yes, yeah. And that was tough. You know, it was really tough because I had kind of nursed some secret hope that, that I would be transformed somehow. And and now it could be very tough too, because in the old days when you published a book, you wouldn't get reviews that you could read online yourself. (laughs) And anybody who's published on Amazon will know that you get the good, the bad and the ugly. And and every author gets the good, the bad and the ugly, regardless of how good the book is. So if if you suffer from self-doubt, how do you cope with that? Because it could be a pretty bruising experience sometimes. Well, my advice on this, I have again, hard-won advice, is don't read reviews. I never read reviews. Um, well, no, that's not entirely true. If there is, if a blogger um, or a, you know a magazine reviews my book, then I will I will read it. Um, most likely, there's a, there's a fair chance I will. But Amazon reviews or Goodreads or anything and any retailer site, I don't read reviews. Um, because I did find in the early the first few months of being a published author that I would be crushed by a bad review, even though I knew um, that everybody gets them. And I would try to make myself feel better by looking up a book that I loved and seeing how many awful reviews they had, or, you know, look up a classic and see how many one-star reviews, you know, Pride and Prejudice has or whatever. Um, It didn't help because any positive reviews I had were a moment of, oh, that's nice. And any negative reviews would just haunt me. And um, and I thought, no, this is not I feel I felt very guilty. I felt like, oh, I really need to read these reviews. Someone has I'm so grateful that somebody has read my book. That is incredible. Whatever they thought of it, they spent time reading my book and then they spent time leaving a review. I felt incredibly guilty at the thought of almost um, disrespecting that by not reading it. And then I realized that my own sort of my own mental health, my own equilibrium, my own creativity couldn't cope with that long term. And so I just had to not read them. And what I did to make myself feel less guilty is my husband reads them. Not all the time, um, not not so much anymore, but in the early, the, sort of the first couple of years, um, he would just every so often have a look through. If there was a particularly nice review, he'd take up, you know, he'd, he'd exert it or send me a nice line from it. Sometimes on a Monday morning, I'll get an email from him and it will say a little Monday morning motivation for you. And it will be, you know, a few lines from a lovely review. Um, and so I know that they're being acknowledged. They're being looked at. They're being appreciated in some way, but I don't actually have to do it. Yeah, it's, it is it is punishing. And listening to your podcast, that's one of the <laughs> tips I, I picked up. But do you know, sometimes I have a little peek and then I wish I hadn't. <laughs> yeah. It's it, tough. It, 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 is, it is tough. And I'm, I'm the same as you. You know, I can have, I had a wonderful review over the weekend. When you say that is my reader, that's exactly who I want to read my books. You know, they get it. They love it. And then, and then as you say, you read um, somebody who's been negative and it just, I, I'm the same as you, crushes me for the weekend. It makes me, right, throw the towel in. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> Never going to write again. No one wants to read this stuff. And then, you know, you maybe get another review and I'm back in there again. But it is, it's hard to deal with, isn't it? I, I find, I do struggle with it. 
Yeah, it is really hard. It is. But I, I definitely I will just I'll just reiterate you really you've got to stop. Stop reading them, Paul. <laughs> because the other thing is, is that without wanting to sound, again, disrespectful in any way, not everybody's opinion should matter to you. Yeah, you're abs- I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, if you met those people in public, you mm. might say, you know, I don't, you're not my kind of person. Absolutely. But- or they have a completely different taste in books yeah. or what, you know, it's. And also, I think, gosh, I want to remember if this was in Brené Brown's book or in Elizabeth Gilbert's. They're both wonderful books. Um, I want to say it might be Brené Brown or maybe in a TED talk she did. And she talked about um, about deciding that not every, that people had to earn the right to an opinion on her work as far as obviously they can have their own opinions, but they they had to earn the right for her to see that opinion or to take it on board in any way. And the absolute, the, like the basic entry fee, if you like, is were they a creative person putting creative work out in the world? Are they, are they down in the, are they, are they down in the, in, I think she talks about like a a gladiator's arena. I may well be completely mangling this. I probably am. Apologies. Um, But it was about if they are not, you know, in that creative world as well, putting themselves out there, being vulnerable, then then they're just not, they don't have the price of admission, as it were. Yeah, uh, that's a really interesting point. And, and mm-hmm. the other thing that I try to live by is, uh, is it Thumbprint Bambi who says, if you ain't got nothing good to say, don't say nothing at all mm-hmm. or whatever. whatever. Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. I'm mangling that. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> two, two literary Tune scholars in. that we are. <laughs> but you, you, you know the bit, don't you? But I think, I think it's Thumper that says it. But yeah, one of the things that amazes me is that some people, uh, it is a subjective opinion, but they're very happy to, to put it into a review. And my view always is personally that if, you know, if I haven't got something positive or constructive to say, then I just wouldn't write a review. I wouldn't want to knock somebody down because you've got to value the time, the effort and the, the work that went into that. Yes, absolutely. But that I think I think that's kind of what I decided when I thought it all through and I thought things like that. I thought, well, actually, they've got every every right to their opinion, but equally, I've got every right to not ex- not expose myself to that opinion. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm definitely what I'm what I'm living by. <laughs> so you managed to turn that first book into more published books. Congratulations. <laughs> On that, um, did it get easier or was it harder then? Um, <laughs> uh, would you like the honest answer, yes, Paul? Please. Only honesty, yes. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, well, the second book. So I had the dream, and it was a, a two-book deal, uh, but I had a very tight deadline. And again, you know, I think everybody, find, not everybody, many people find this. You you sort of spend a long time writing and polishing this first, the first book that gets you the deal. And then you have to come up with a follow up very, very quickly. And also they wanted a follow up, um, whereas I'd always envisaged it as a standalone. I hadn't planned a series of any kind. Um, so I had to come up with an idea and and write it quite quickly. And it was really tough. It was um, it was really hard. Uh, I'm very proud of the book partly because I know how hard I found it uh, to write. I did have amazing editorial support from Karina. Um, the, I have to say the editorial department were tremendous and so helpful. And, and they weren't putting pressure on me in a sort of, in any sort of nasty way. But the fact is that they have a slot on the, on the you know publishing schedule. And I was aware of that slot. And I just put all the pressure on myself because I wanted to make it, I want to be a professional professional. 
I wanted this to be the start of my career. So I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, and yeah, that was hard. Um, yes, second book syndrome. It's real. <laughs> and what's it like getting the support that you, you get as a, a trad author? Do you, you get editors and, and marketers and people like that? Or did you not get that? Um, well, yes, with with Karina, which are um, a digital imprint of HarperCollins, they were the editorial support was amazing. Um, really, that was a fantastic experience. I feel like I learned so much through going going through structural edits. Um, I'd already learned a lot going through edits with my amazing agent, which was you know she's very very good editorially, which I'm very grateful for. Um, but again, going through the structural editing process with the publisher was amazing and I felt like I learned stuff well, so much. Um, marketing, I think I was very lucky with Karina because I did get, they, they continually put me up for deals and I got lots of um, things like, you know, Kindle Daily Deal uh, and so on uh, for all my books that have been with them, for the three that are with them. So I've been very lucky there. Uh, but I think... When I went to Lake Union, it was like it felt like a, a whole other level in terms of marketing plan um, and that kind of support. They, you know, they they just they have everything very well set up. They're an absolute joy to work with. Uh, they have yes, you've got lots of different contacts. They stay in really really great communication. Yeah, it's been very exciting. And you have an agent presumably who's navigating mm -hmm. this for you. Yes, so um, my agent is Sally Ann Sweeney, and she is wonderful. Um, so she is there to obviously negotiate contracts, and everything can go through her if I want it to. Um, so yeah, she's just a continual support, and also something that again, if if anybody's listening who's wondering about whether to get an agent or not, because of course you don't need to have an agent these days. Um, I would say the right agent is fantastic um and what's something i really value with Sally-Anne is that she's not just her editorial guidance but just that sort of whole career kind of guidance you know that that i personally i really value that feeling of being on a team and having somebody in your corner as a traditional author were you mm -hmm. in the land of advances earning out advances and then getting your royalties Yes. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I've, I, they're very, very Lake Union, you're, you sign things. So you're not actually allowed to talk about your deal and you're not allowed to discuss figures in any way. They're very, very secretive Amazon. Um, yes. Um, but I, I was very, very pleased with my advance with them and I did earn out quite quickly. I think again, within the light of what we see, was in um, Kindle First. It was picked for this particular Kindle First promotion, which I don't think I fully understood how powerful that was going to be. Um, but it was incredibly powerful. And I mean, that I'm not sure how many reviews I've got on that book at the moment. It's something like 250, maybe. No, it's 282. I've got it open up okay. in front of me now. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you. Um, so, I mean, it was, yes, I, I, I'm quite literally speechless with how incredible that experience was um and how well that did um because they they know what they're doing you know they know how to they know how to sell books 
<laughs> and interestingly, if you if you look at your Amazon page, um, mm-hmm. you've got um, you know forty for the Garden of Magic, Language of Spells, one three four, seventy six reviews for the Secret of Ghosts, and then your most recent two hundred eighty two in no mm-hmm. time at all. Mm-hmm. That, that's some incredible marketing power to achieve that because reviews are hard to get, aren't they? Well, I, I, yeah, I'm just, I've been incredibly lucky. I have been incredibly lucky. So um, now with, with moving over, um, doing my first completely independent project, I'm, I'm certainly learning the other side of, of what it takes to get reviews because I didn't do anything. Um, and please don't throw anything at the microphone. I didn't, didn't do anything for my my previous books. I, I did a blog tour for The Language of Spells and I didn't do, that's the last one, I, well, the one and only one I've done. I contacted a few friendly bloggers to ask them to review the book, each of the, you know, each of my releases and that's been it. So I've just been very lucky. Sometimes as a self-publisher, it can feel like there's nobody out there when you're, when you're trying to sell your book. And I know we'll talk about your self-publishing experience in a, in a moment or two. Um, whereas... When you traditionally publish, sometimes these things seem to take on a life of their own. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that is it's quite exceptional in, in, in that amount of time, that number of reviews and that success. Do, what, what do you think the, the difference is? What, what creates that magic and that impetus? Because no one knows who you are until they know who you are. So how do they know who you are? I'm... <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid I've got absolutely no good answer to that. It's... Um... It is a mystery. I think, I mean, the general, the received wisdom that I have heard is simply to do with sales in that if you have a certain number of sales, you'll get a certain number of reviews, a sort of some sort of percentage, some sort of magical, magical um, maths is at work. And, you know, for every whatever it is, for every a thousand sales or whatever, you'll get a review or whatever it might be. Um, and that's what I've heard um, is the closest anyone's come to answering that question <laughs> yeah it, it is a job now um you set up the worried writer podcast to mm. reflect your your worrying and your procrastination i can't remember how long i've been listening how, how long has it been going now sarah the podcast i'm on episode 27 um so that'll be 27 months <laughs> 27, yeah 23 years yeah, yeah. that's what i because i must have been listening to for almost two years, I thought it must have been. Uh-huh. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I found it and loved it, so I, I listened all the time. And uh, I wish you would do it weekly, of course, but <laughs> <laughs> but I know what that's like doing it weekly. So I, I wouldn't. I wish don't know that. how you manage it, Paul. Uh, I don't know how you do it. I'm not quite sure either, but um, it's uh, <laughs> it's quite a job. Um, but I lo- I love your podcast, and I, I I think you bring something completely unique to the party, um, which is not easily done with so many podcasts. And that is, you really explore this this fear, this worry, this, this self doubt, but not in a negative kind of way. And, uh, you know, how do we, how can we deal with this kind of way? I pick up a lot of tips and get a lot of reassurance from your podcast. What, what made you start it? You know, bearing in mind that you feel the fear and seem to do it anyway. Oh, well, that's so lovely to hear. I am so glad that you don't find it too negative and that you find it reassuring because that was my, one of my fears. Um, particularly putting worried in the title was that it it would be too negative um and it was absolutely the opposite of what i wanted to do which was to just be honest and hopefully reassuring and as you say give practical tips um the fear thing i think i can't remember where i read this again fantastic brilliant quoting that i'm doing but um (laughs) 
I remember reading somebody, uh, someone saying something about how anxiety and excitement feel the same. And I'd struggled, well, I still struggle, but I definitely struggled very much with trying to work out when I'm feeling anxious about something, am I afraid of doing it so I don't want to do it? Or do I simply just not want to do it? Because if I simply don't want to do it, you know, I turned 40 this year, I don't have to do it. I'm a grown up. But if I'm afraid of it, then I, you know, that's not a good reason to do it. So I was really struggling with trying to, you know, work out my own feelings on on certain things. And when I um I was listening to Joanna Penn's podcast, which I absolutely love, um, and and I I started to think, gosh, you know, that would be that would be amazing to do something like that. And the idea of getting to pick other authors' brains to find out how they have, you know how they deal with procrastination, how they become more productive, because that was all stuff I wanted to get better at. And I thought, what better way to get better at this than to steal other people's knowledge who are more successful than I am and and better at this stuff. And then I thought about giving back to the writing community because I've got so much from listening to other people's podcasts, reading blogs. I appreciate it so, so much. And I started to think, yeah, Sarah, you know, you really ought to do something for other people. You ought to give back. And I've had that that glimmer of excitement at the thought of doing it and terror, you know, a lot of terror. But I'd had that excitement feeling. And because I knew that I was excited, I just made myself do it. (laughs) <laughs> well done. It's because it's, it takes quite a lot of effort to get a, mm-hmm. a podcast off the ground. Um, I detected on your podcast for a very early stage, which is why we are where we are now talking to each other about this. I detected that you were very open about self-publishing a long time ago because mm-hmm. you, you mm-hmm. generally are talking to traditional authors on your podcast, not exclusively, but, but generally. And you, you seem very open and have always seemed very open to indie publishing. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I start to hear about you doing your own audio and, and then you've done your own book and I know it's the natural progression listening to the podcast I, I sort of saw that coming quite a way off has it has it been bubbling under for a while in, in your mind yes absolutely you've you've got me bang to rights there um while I was uh I always research things completely and I like to really get as informed as possible and then make inform hopefully informed decisions and so my sort of trip into publishing was exactly that. I'd done all the reading. I knew you got an agent and, you know, then you got a publisher and that's what you did. And so that's what I did. And I also knew I, I did start to hear about self-publishing um, because this is, what, 2011, 2012. So it was certainly around. Um, but I knew that I was the kind of person, as you've probably grasped from this, not not overflowing in self-confidence, shall we say. Um, I knew that it was going to be important to me to have that validation. And that's absolutely not saying that that's something that everybody should have or, or should want. Um, but for me, it was true. I really needed that sense of validation that I was good enough. So that's why I continued to pursue traditional publishing. But I, I started to think... If I get traditionally published, I'm going to self-publish because I could see from the stuff that I was reading and the stuff that I was hearing that it was the sensible business decision. And I've always been very entrepreneurial. I've run a business. I've been freelance for years. Um, 
And so that sort of set off a whole other area of, gosh, that's that's really interesting. This could be an actual business. And yeah, so it was. it's definitely been something that I've been planning. Now, I can't remember the order um, uh, <laughs> that this came in because you did an audio book, didn't you, first? Is that right? Your own audio yes, book first, then, yeah. then the book? Yeah, that's right. Well, um, my wonderful agent had negotiated to keep audio uh, rights amongst other things when I signed with um, Karina um, and so I spoke to her about it and she went off to try and sell the audio rights um, which was grand but no takers and so I said to her well there's this thing I've heard about <laughs> on the creative pen <laughs> yes, like we all <laughs> thank <do. laughs> you thank you Joanna Penn yet again um, and I thought well Rather than the rights just sitting there not doing anything, I may as well may as well do it myself. So yeah, that was one of my as soon as I started thinking about being a writer like any other business, it just opened up so many things that I wanted to do or so many things that I thought, yes, this would be a good idea. And how did you go about getting the audio books done? Because again, that could be quite a job and it's quite a steep learning curve as well. Well, um, I read about it. Uh, I read about ACX and so on, not just on the Creative Pen, but also I believe it was Simon Whistler's podcast, Rocking Self-Publishing. Um, he talked about it because I think he's a narrator. He is an, an excellent one, too. He's, I really love his nonfiction narration. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I'll have to check it. I do really like his voice, so I can imagine that he's very good um, at that. So, yes, yeah, so I went to ACX and I decided to do a royalty split for The Language of Spells because it's a full-length novel, so it would be quite an outlay. Um, and I just thought, well, that's what I'll do for that. And for my first go, I'm going to make it is what I like to do. <laughs> what I like to do when I'm scared of things or when I'm trying to do something is I do all my research. Then I decide on a plan of action. Then I break that plan down into steps. So like starting the podcast or getting an audio book made or whatever it is. And then I just work through the steps. So I don't I don't let myself focus on all the stuff that terrifies me. I focus on the process of it and I just work through those steps. Um, not really. Yes. Not letting myself look ahead to the end point, if you see what I mean. So I decided that I needed to create as little friction as possible and for me spending say four grand on a narrator would be friction because that's scary and it's a risk so I decided royalty split because then it t removes that friction if that makes sense absolutely yeah and how and how has it gone um for you uh, the audiobooks are they are they selling well because you've got the advantage of course of having a great audience um already for the books yeah, I mean, it started out quite well, and then it seemed to get, you know, quite quiet. And I thought, how on earth do you market audiobooks in particular? I just, in you know, on their own. And I think if I if I controlled the ebook and the print book, there might be some things I could do marketing wise. But because the ebook and the paperback are with HarperCollins, for example, you know, I can't do a price promotion or. Um, you know, I'm limited in what I can do that way. I can't run Amazon ads, for example, to simply promote the book and hope to get some audio sales off the back of that. So that's definitely a work in progress, um, getting the word out on the audio. Um, I did do a 
something that has given me a good shot in the arm um, sales wise was um, again I'm going to I should have written this down audio book boom, boom. boom. Yep. yes so I read about that on keyboards I think and um, yeah so I, I did that and got a, you know lots more reviews through that and it really gave a boost to sales so that's quite recent and that's worked really well um, and I've just had the Garden of Magic which is my novella. So I had that made and I paid for production on that one. And that's just come out. And I've done an audiobook boom with that immediately. Um, and that so far seems to be, you know, it seems to be gathering in some reviews and things. So that's good. And uh, it's a bit too soon to say on sales, but I'm hoping that the more I have, the, the better my visibility somehow. I'm hoping for magic, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? Yes. <laughs> now, I, I got very excited when I, I heard you get closer and closer to self-publishing. So I desperately <laughs> want to interview Sarah, but this is a self-publishing podcast. You, know, you need to at least have done a little bit of self-publishing or at least you know thought about it to, to be on this podcast. And at last, you've got this self-published yeah. book out, which I'm highly delighted about because it means I've got you know, many reasons now to talk to you on the podcast. So because uh, we've been sort of you know, chatting and emailing and twittering for a while now. Um, so the ideal excuse. Now, when did you decide then to write this book, which I guess grew out of the podcast? Yes, absolutely. Yes, it did grow out of the podcast. Um, well, partly I had some really lovely messages. My uh, my listeners are fantastic and uh, give me lots of good feedback and lots of chats on Twitter and lovely yeah, lovely supportive messages and things, um, which I really appreciate. And a few of those messages had started to say, are you going to write a book? Or this would make a good book. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, so that sort of set the, uh, so the seeds. And part of me just wanted to see if I could do it. Uh, I also thought, because I had been thinking, uh, as I say, I'd been thinking that self-publishing alongside traditionally publishing would be a very sensible move um as i say this is my job and i want it to continue to be my job i don't ever want yes this is my full-time job and i want that to be the case um forever and ever and so it makes sense to diversify your income um and i thought well a non-fiction project i could see the shape of that and i could see that that would make a very good self-published title or certainly a good self-published project um so that kind of spurred me on as well i thought okay there are several good reasons to do this so how have you found that experience because you you're, you're in this really interesting position of having had all the support of a traditional publisher and then all of a sudden you're striking out on your own um it's been fantastic it's been very very exciting i do like having control and so being the project manager for something has been really a lot of fun. Uh, I also love the freedom of not waiting for a yes. You know, I decided that this would be a good a book that I wanted to write, a book I was ready to write, a book that I thought or I certainly hope will help fellow writers. And I could just do it. And that was a tremendous feeling. Um, so I really thoroughly enjoyed that aspect. Uh, I did... Along with the control, I think I was surprised at how difficult decision-making can be. Um, because when you're traditionally published, you have no say, for example, on your covers. 
And so I thought, brilliant, now I get to work with a designer and I get to have the say on the cover. And I found that it's, it's actually, well, personally, I found that harder than, than I thought it would be because, of course, the buck stops with me. I, suddenly I had to make these decisions. So I did find that a little bit tough. Yeah, your cover looks fabulous. And oh, thank you. you know, it's really strong. Where did you get it from, by the way? So. Oh, that, I wanted to say, it was Inspired Cover Designs, um, who I heard about on Rocking Self Publishing. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so Domi at Inspired Cover Designs, and she was fantastic, um, absolutely amazing to work with, and so kind and so patient with me when I was swithering and generally no, not knowing what order things should happen. And <laughs> Yes. And then you've also had to negotiate, presumably you went through CreateSpace, did you, or did you go through the new one in, in the KDP? No, I went, I went through CreateSpace. What I did... Having done loads of research and listened to loads of stuff and read everything that Joanna Penn has ever written, I thought, well, I know what I'm doing with self-publishing. I know how to do this. But I also knew that I felt quite overwhelmed. So I decided to buy um, Mark Dawson's uh, self-publishing formula 101 course. And I thought there's a good chance that I will know everything in this course. But if all it does is give me a sort of production schedule, if it just leads me by the hand, step by step through this, so that I actually do it, because, you know, the fear and so on, um, then it will be worth it. I mean, as it happened, there were tons of little bits and pieces in that course that I didn't know and were incredibly useful. Uh, but yes, my original reason for doing it was fantastic. So it did sort of lead me through. And it also meant that I didn't, I didn't spend ages researching every single step. I simply followed what Mark said in the course. And that just saved me such a lot of time. In terms of uh, self-publishing, how does it compare then to going with a traditional publisher and then taking the strain and then and you having to do everything yourself which which do you prefer is is there a preference um it's quite difficult because i would say that the most amount of work really is still in the writing of the book mm. and in the editing and the rounds of edits that you go through with um, a publisher or if you're doing it yourself and, and paying an editor to go through rounds of edits that's the same and obviously the time to write the book is the same um, you also have things like um, you might fill out uh, a cover questionnaire or something for your publisher you might um, fill out market, you know, uh, documents that help them with their marketing and so on because they recognise that nobody knows your book as well as you do and also they have many other books that they are dealing with so to get the best possible um, marketing strategy, uh, materials, uh, book cover, all of these things, you know, your, your publisher is likely to ask for your input. Of course, you don't have control. They have the final say, and quite rightly, but, but that all, all of that stuff does take time. Um, I would say that this one, I'm, I'm sort of looking at it now as if not that anybody can see me looking at it. Um, <laughs> this one did take a wee while, but then it was my first go and I had to set up on all the retailers and I, I set up a limited company. And, you know, I, I hope <laughs> I hope that going forward, um, it won't be quite as time consuming. Now, um, I've heard you, I think, I, I get mixed up with people. I'm sure I've heard you say that you're thinking about getting this done as an audiobook and considering yeah. using your own voice for it. Oh, yes. <laughs> Where are you up to with that? Uh, I'm still swithering. It's me and decisions. Um, 
Well, really what it comes down to is that I have asked my listeners and my mailing list subscribers and so on for The Worried Writer. And overwhelmingly, the response is that I should read the audiobook, which is really lovely to hear. It's very flattering. It's very kind. Um, and I, when I listen to nonfiction, I prefer it if the author reads it, you know, so it's my personal preference as well. I absolutely understand uh, what my audience is saying. But on the other hand, as you can tell in this interview, I'm not an amazing audio person. Um, I will say, um, three million times and then have to cut them all out. And the I, I think it will just, I'm trying to weigh up the amount of time and energy it will take me to record it versus... Um, Yes, whether it's worth me doing it. Let me make a recommendation to you. I have an interview that I recorded last week, uh, number 64 in my podcasts, with Mike Bodner, who has just recorded his book. Um, okay. And he talks through everything about it, uh, going to get a studio and everything. Uh, but also, if you get Writing Magazine this month, Mike has got a two-page article in there explaining everything that he learned about recording his own audiobook. And Mike's a former broadcaster like me, which is why we had such an interesting chat, uh, because we know I, you know, I said to Mike, I chose not to do my books because I know how much work's involved in that, getting a good take on it. And he decided, regardless of that, to do it. So um, I really <laughs> recommend listening to Mike's either podcast or getting that writing magazine this month because um, it's a great article. Give you a lot of insights into what's involved, you know, the pains and the the pleasures <laughs> of it. Oh, absolutely! I will do that. Thank you. In terms of self-publishing, then, what are you going to do more of it, or are you are you on this kind of um, this machine of of trying <laughs> to get books out for uh, late union now? Well, I, I am delighted to be working with Lake Union again. Um, so I'm just in the midst of rewrites for my next novel with them, which has got a working title of Beneath the, Beneath the Water. And I have another book that my agent has just sent me editorial notes on, which I'll then be rewriting ready for submission to publishers. Uh, having said that, I definitely intend to do more in the future. It's just trying to work out where in my schedule they're going to fit. Um, I'm quite a slow writer, which I realise is not good uh, in this day and age, but I'm determined to sort of plan out my schedule and, and to find some spaces to do some more self-publishing things because, I mean, quite apart from the fact that it makes business sense, which it absolutely does, I think it's really important for me personally, for my own psychology, because having something that is my project, something that I control, something that I don't wait for a yes on, all of those things are so good for me and make me feel sort of empowered and excited because publishing is so up and down and it's not all exciting and it's not all the Kindle Daily Deal and things going well. So I think the more things that I've got going on to keep me, you know, A, distracted and and B, with some semblance, some sort of illusion of control over my career, the better. So, yes, absolutely. And I think you've seen the lure of the dark side because I found you on Instafreebie <laughs> tonight too, which is very much an indie <laughs> author outlet and you've got a short story on there. How, how's that working for you? Oh, it's great. I'm yeah, I'm really pleased. Um, again, that was from doing the self-publishing course. 
and I heard about InstaFreebie and there was a, a great perk with the course to get um, to get a discount and so on. So it was very, again, a very easy, frictionless decision. And I thought, I've already got this short story. All I have to do is commission a cover. And I'm well aware that what you need to do is to build a mailing list. And it makes perfect sense to me. It's absolute logical sense that you don't you don't um what's the phrase you don't build on rented ground so every time you know if you're building up facebook followers or or twitter or or whatever you know if those platforms close tomorrow you can't reach your your audience you can't reach your fans you can't connect with these lovely readers who you chat with so i absolutely agree that having another way having a mailing list is is the way forward but i didn't really have one i sort of had a sign up button um because i knew it was something you should have and that was it really um so again going through this course and learning about these different ways like insta freebie uh to offer incentives to people and to just sort of spread your net a wee bit wider just seemed like a really good idea I usually like to explore the writing tools that uh, people mm. use on this podcast, and uh, you can actually boast the best one of all. You've actually got a writing shed. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> usually it's just Scrivener or something like that, but, but, <laughs> but yours is a writing shed. Where did you get uh, that? How, how does that work for you? Do you find that space really useful? I do. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's, the, it's the best... Um, Oh, gosh, I don't know how much it was. Seven grand or something. It's the best seven grand I ever spent. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's made by Booth's Garden Studios and it's it's beautiful and I'm unashamedly in love with it. And I got that when I was working on the language of spells. I want to say I was doing rewrites for the publisher. So, um, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, so I had the deal and I was I was working on the book, uh, you know, pre uh, pre-publication and we've got a really small house basically uh we've got a tiny wee bungalow and it was a case of do we move house so that we have a bit more space and we went round and round and round and it kept coming back to me saying well i just need a space for a desk because sitting in bed writing in bed which is my terrible habit was i've got quite a bad back and that was not helping and i just wanted I mean, I've been working at home since I was pregnant with my eldest. So, um, and she's going to be 17 this year. Oh, so, right. okay. yeah, I, you know, I'd worked at home with my children on the bed, in the dining room, on the sofa for a long time. And I just, the idea of having my own space and also my workspace where I could shut the door and also have like a little commute, you know, or oh, I just... Yeah, <laughs> I still feel guilty at being so extravagant, but um, compared with moving house, it was a steal. So, <laughs> and does it have um, heating? Is it warm in the winter? And things? I, you, it's toasty, yeah. Yeah, yeah you posted toasty. a lovely shot of the the winter. You had some snow recently on, on yeah. the line. Well, the... this is why I, this is why I kind of went. I went a little bit upmarket and and spent spent the money because it's really well designed. It's beautifully insulated. It's got lovely solid. Uh, double glazing or all the front of it so you get the sun coming through the windows um but it's also very draft free and i have a little i'm just looking at it again nobody can see it i don't know why i'm pointing <laughs> i've got a little i've got a little electric heater and in the winter yes i pop that on um for a bit but it just because it's a, it's not a big place it warms up beautifully and yeah <laughs> 
So that that's the largest writing tool that you have. What about yes. what about the uh, the smaller parts of your armory? What how, how do you write? Are you a word or a scrivener writer? What what makes your life easier as a writer? Um, well, I I still use Word a lot, but I do love Scrivener. Um, but I do switch between them depending on what stage of the project I'm at. Um, I tend to end up in Word. I think because I started writing in Word back in the day, and although I've moved to Scrivener because it's great. I'm such a creature of habit and I, I seem to hit a point in a book where it just needs to be in a Word document for it to feel like a book. Um, so, yes, that. Lots of post-it notes. Um, I really like lots of brightly coloured fine liners for doodling and brainstorming and just getting away from the screen for a bit. Um, the other thing I have, which is for when I'm doing the thing that I'm really not supposed to do, which is write in bed, which I still do first thing in the morning. I have this amazing lap desk thing, which has got sort of adjustable, uh, fully adjustable arms and legs, if you like. So you can, it's sort of a tray shape and it's metal um, and you can tilt it. You can basically, you can adjust everything about it uh, to rest your laptop on and make Okay, it's still not good for you to be sitting in bed writing, but um, it's, a, you know, really very comfortable and saves my wrists. So, yeah. <laughs> so what kind of success would it take for you to change the title of your podcast to the No Longer Worried Writer? What, <laughs> do, you, do you think there is a point at which you would feel happy with what you've achieved? Because you've done an amazing amount and you've done that. I always think when I'm listening to your podcast, against the backdrop of quite clearly dealing with quite a lot of anxiety in your mm. life, you've achieved amazing things regardless of that. Well, that, that's really kind of you to say. But I think I think the key for me is realising that the external things are never going to stop me. Free. They're never going to be enough, if you like. That was another of my key realizations, which have just really, really helped me, is understanding that there's always going to be new worries. You know, if I do, if if I got um, some amazing, um, amazing deal in the, you know, that was, you know, talked about in the bookseller or, you know, film rights or whatever, some massive sign of external success, I would still be a, you know, I'd still be a nervous wreck inside. I would still feel like an imposter and that I'm not good enough and all of those things. And that that sounds awful. But realizing that has really freed me up because I know that those external things aren't the thing. What's the thing is the stuff I love doing. I love writing mostly and I love I certainly love having have written, you know, having written. I love completing books. I love connecting with readers. It's the most amazing pinch yourself every single day i can't believe this is happening to me amazing life and i love love speaking to other authors i love doing things like this i love talking to people on my podcast and feeling less alone and feeling part of this amazing industry and amazing community i just and if i focus on all of that which i already have you know i have those things then the external stuff I feel like I'm a better, you know, I'm better, I'm in a better shape to deal with those things if I do get some sort of success, which I find terrifying. And equally, I'm less hung up on that. So what's next for you? What's what's what have you got coming through the pipeline? What can we expect to see on your Amazon author page next? Well, Beneath the Water is scheduled for 
publication early next year. Um, so before that, I'm hoping to have news. Um, the other book that I've written that I'm about to rewrite is a very different genre. So that might end up being a pen name. Um, yeah, <laughs> have to see on that. Yes. And uh, I think probably next up is most likely to be the audio version of Stop Worrying, Start Writing as soon as I you know, make a decision. <laughs> with that. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.